0: Well, good morning church and Merry uh, Christmas to everybody. Uh, I do have to say, uh, as we begin this morning, I hate that we had to cancel last night. Um, Really, really hate that all of the promotion, all of the planning, all of the stuff that went into Christmas under the stars would have really and truly began to be Christmas in the mud Uh, yesterday, but we had to cancel it. And I'm not gonna lie to you, I prayed for rain all day. Um, I did, because once you cancel something, like that nobody wants to be that guy when it doesn't rain uh, just to make sure that's happening well look I know I say that and the disappointment of that but I do also want to say it has been incredible over these last couple of weeks just to watch the building come alive and, and here's what I mean when I say that uh, all of the decor has changed the lobbies look different it looks different up here and there is just a there's a festiveness there is an incredible look to the building but not only that but it's been fun to watch all of the groups get together. Now, this doesn't mean a whole lot for you guys, but for those of us that that practically live here, it's been incredible to watch all of the celebrations happen, whether it be sports banquets or community events, whether it be ministry parties or life group events, to watch us come kind of out of where we've been over these last couple years and just watch the celebration for the Christmas season that has Happen over these last couple weeks, it really has been incredible. It really has. Now, I say that to say this. If you're not part of a life group, if, if Sunday is kind of like you just kind of come and worship with us, look, we're, we're really thankful for that. But, but here's what I want to say. If you're not part of a life group, you're missing it. You're missing community. You're missing to watch God move in your family through relationships. You're missing people being able to take care of you and know what's happening in your life. If, if your idea of church is just popping in to hear some great music and some adequate teaching a couple times a month, that's not going to get there for you. I promise you it's not. So would you just consider over these next couple of weeks, making life groups part of something that you just see in part of your life. All right, I felt like I just needed to say that. Let's jump into the message. Last week, we launched into our Christmas series here that we've just entitled, And He Shall Be Called. And He Shall Be Called. And we jumped into this idea that Christmas time is an incredible time for all of us to be able to regroup a little bit. To kind of reset our schedule or to relook at things, to pause and to ponder this idea or this message or the reality that Christ, the Messiah, the King, has come. That He has come and He has gifted us and gifted humanity and gifted the world with salvation with him being Emmanuel. And the reality is if you look at the core of the Christmas season, you begin to see that that's why we put so much strain on gifts. It's because the ultimate gift, Jesus, was born for us. He was given to us. It wasn't anything we deserved or anything we earned or anything we bought, he was given to us. That's the Christmas season. And in that, what we're doing here is we're marching through a text in the Old Testament from the book of Isaiah from the book of Isaiah chapter nine, really chapter seven through nine. And we said that every week throughout the Christmas break or throughout the Christmas holidays, we're gonna take this ancient prophecy, this idea that this Messiah is going to come and we're gonna pull a little piece of it out every week. We're gonna watch how it points to Jesus and how it points to who Jesus is and what Jesus does and how Jesus wants to step into uh, our lives. And that's what we're going to do this morning. Now, for those of you that weren't here last week, all right, for those of you that weren't here, let me bring you up to speed as you're getting with me in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9 is given to us in the year somewhere around 730 B.C. 730 years prior to Christ being born, Isaiah is given to us in an incredibly turmoil time. There's lots of trouble. There's lots of depression. There's lots of question. There's sickness happening. There is armies taking over other armies. There's countries that are folding. And the reality is there's a chaos level in the world in this moment, specifically in the Southern kingdom that we're looking at, that is beyond a lot of what they had ever seen in their lifetime. Does that ring a bell for anybody? There is a level of ambiguity. There's a level of question. There's this idea of we don't know what's going on and why it's going on. We've got government leaders we trust, we've got government leaders we don't trust. We've got kings and we've got prophecy. We've got all this going on in this moment. And this guy named Ahaz, this king, Ahaz realizes that he's in trouble. And this country's in trouble. He's the king of the southern kingdom, which is Israel, which is uh, the the whole body that has already been said that is God's people. He knows that he's doomed because the Assyrians are stronger than him and they're about to take him. So he's looking to do something. He doesn't know what to do. He's already tried everything that he knows how to try. He's already reached out. He's already tried to finagle his way through diplomacy, through buying his way out. None of that works. And he's looking for an alliance for somebody around him to protect him. And God steps into the scene through the prophet Isaiah and says, hey, listen, you don't need an alliance with another country. Catch this. You need me, and you need my power and my might in your life. So Isaiah gives this prophecy that a sign is gonna come. Let me read it to you, Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Here's what Isaiah says. Isaiah says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign And the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now fast forward to Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, and we'll see the second thing that Isaiah said. Isaiah says this, for unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, listen to this, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over the kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. So Isaiah looks into this king's life and he says, look, I know that you're depressed and I know that all this stuff is going on. I know that you're separated. I know that you're at your wits end. But listen, a child is gonna be born A son is going to be given and he is going to be sovereign. Are you seeing that even in that statement, we're seeing that the divinity of God and the humanness of Jesus and the sovereignty of God are all coming together around this message of that we are separated from God. There's no alliance around us that can ever help us. There's no group of people that can deliver us. Isaiah looks into King Ahaz's life and says that it's none of that stuff that's going to cure you. Your separation from God can only be cured from a Messiah, from Jesus, the one who is going to come. And Isaiah looks into the life of Ahaz and says, I know you have turmoil. I know you've got all this going on, but if you will just trust in Jesus, the one who's going to come, he will save you. He'll save you. And then Isaiah goes into these four different descriptions of who the Messiah is going to be. Last week, we looked at the first one, the wonderful counselor, right? The Pele Peleyaetz, we said, out of the Hebrew. It literally means that he is beyond description, beyond anything that we can give him. We can't even describe Jesus' awesomeness with language because our language has fallen, and he's our counselor. He's the one that comes behind us when we have a need or gives gives direction when we don't know where to go. We saw that last week, and we saw that the wonderful counselor loves us so much where we are that he refuses to leave us where we are. And he wants to give us life. But I want you to feel this. That was just the first name. This morning, we're gonna continue, and we're gonna look at what Isaiah says next in verse six. It says, for unto us, a child is born, a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called wonderful counselor. That was last week. And now this week is this. Everlo- he is the mighty God. He's the mighty God. Now, I love this description of mighty God. And here's why. Mighty God, the might of God, is the strength of God. It is the substance of God. It is the foundation of God. It is the power of God. If you look at the fact that Jesus can become all things to all people, that he has all power and can meet people exactly where they are, it is only because he is mighty. You see, last week we looked at Jesus as the wonderful counselor. But here's the thing. Jesus can meet our needs, and Jesus can walk beside us. Jesus can heal us. Why? It is only because of the mighty power that is in him. And here's how I want to describe this. It is incredible, incredible, incredible that now in the West, right, that's us, that in Christianity, that we look at Jesus as our buddy, I mean, we do. It's an incredible message to us. It's really comforting to us to see Him as our comforter, to see Him as our brother, to see Him as the one who walks with us and laughs with us and talks with us and gives us these little nudges. But listen, church, we cannot do that at the expense of Him being mighty. We cannot bring Him to that level. We can't say that he is just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. No, no, no. When we look at Jesus, yes, he is with us. Yes, he is for us. Yes, he is a comfort to us. But we have to first understand his might. We have to first understand his largeness. And so when you lose track of his bigness, here's what you do to Jesus. You bring him down onto the level of every other prophet, every other teacher, every other religious figure that has ever walked this earth. And that can't happen. It can't happen. In fact, when we read Isaiah 9 text, you you see in Isaiah 9 these incredibly powerful words you see these words like light and these words like deliverer, words like warrior and ruler and judge. And you see all of these words that are assigned to Jesus. And all of those words, when you see them in the Bible, all of them carry with them this connotation that Jesus is not this meek little almost person that walked on this earth. No, 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 Jesus is the mighty God. He's all God. He is all Present And Jesus is the mightiest light, right? Anytime you see light in scripture, it exposes, it directs, it guides. Jesus is the mightiest one of those. Anytime you see deliverer, it gives this idea of strength and holding. Jesus is the mightiest deliverer. When you see warrior or ruler or judge, you can't assign Jesus as just along with all of the other ones of these things because Jesus is not just an example of those things. He is the full embodiment of those things. Jesus is mighty. Now listen to me, don't let anyone take that from you. You see, there is a movement in America right now that will give you the fact that you love Jesus, that will give you the fact that you worship Jesus, that will give you the fact that you hold Jesus up in esteem in your life. But when you begin to draw the line on the sand and say that everything falls under the name of Jesus, that's where they have a problem. That's the issue. That's where this week's mightiness upholds every other attribute of who Jesus is. After all, this is the Christmas message, is it not? The Christmas message is that the mighty God came to this earth and he is still mighty. Do not let the cradle take away the mightiness of God, I guess we could say. Don't let it, in fact, I got to thinking about the descriptions of who Jesus is in the Christmas story this week. I wanna read you a few of them because I just wanna show you the mightiness of who God is and what even the angel said about him. Do you remember when the Lord appeared to Joseph, Jesus' father? Do you remember what the angel said to him? Matthew chapter one, verse 20 says this. The angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. Now watch this, here's the mightiness because he will save his people from their sins. Do you see that? Yes, we're talking about a baby. Yes, we're talking about the incarnate Jesus, but we're talking about a person that can save. It doesn't stop there. Look at what happened in Mary's life. When the angel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, the angel said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive, you will give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, watch the mightiness of the language that comes next. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord, watch this, will give him the throne of his father, David. Verse 33, and he will, watch the mightiness, he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. It goes again. Here it is. And his kingdom Will never end. Are you feeling the mighty language in this? The big language in this. This isn't let's light a candle and just be quiet about this little meek little baby here. No, this is the mighty God. It is great. He has a throne. He will reign. He's forever. He has a kingdom, the angel says to Mary. Remember Zechariah in the Christmas story? Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. He's the father of John the Baptist. And when the angel appeared to him and told him what was happening, all Zechariah had to say is this, Luke one sixty nine. he says that the Lord has raised up the horn of salvation for us. Now that sounds weird to us because we ain't farmers. Well, maybe two of you, right? I mean, we're, we're just not, right? But do you know what the horn represents in an animal? It is the power of the animal. It is, the, it is the defeatingness of that animal. So Zechariah looks at it and says, yeah, 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 that's a baby. But listen, that is the horn of our salvation. That is the thing that gives us worth. That is a mighty one. Luke one seventy four. 74, Zechariah says that he will rescue us from the hands of our enemies. That he is our horn of salvation. That he is our rescuer, Zechariah said. I love the shepherds in the Christmas story. They're little bathrobes, right? I love the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verse 10 says this, this is what the angel said to them do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior. You catching the language, right? You're feeling the theme, right? A savior has been born. He is the Messiah and he is the Lord. I love Simeon in the Christmas story. Simeon, he doesn't get a lot of press. He's like a B-roll actor, right? We don't know a lot about Simeon. All we know about Simeon is that he was in the synagogue and he was a faithful guy. What if that was the message when you died one day? That guy, don't know a whole lot about him, but he was faithful, right? That's all Simeon has. But watch what happens when Simeon experiences the mighty God. He says this, Luke 2, 29, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Watch what Simeon says. For mine eyes have seen your salvation your salvation, which you have prepared for me in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon says, he is mighty, he is the savior, he is the king, he is above all because he's the one that can save us from all. And so poor Simeon said, that's all I need to see, God, you can kill me right now. I'm out, love the language. My favorite's gotta be the Magi, right? Everybody loves the Magi. Everybody loves those guys. The Magi, when they heard about the king, listen to what happened in their lives. Matthew chapter 2 says, after Jesus was born, verse 1, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, listen to what they said about the mighty, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we came to worship him. Fast forward down to verse 10. When they saw the star, watch this. They were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child, his mother and Mary and watch what they did to the mighty. They bowed down, they worshiped him. And then if you were here last year, you caught a whole bunch of this. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. What? Gifts for the mighty. Gifts for the king, gifts for the ruler, gifts for the con- one who has connected God with man. What happened in the life of these mighty men to make them recognize the mightiness of God? What happened was as they realized who he was and they realized the mightiness in their life. So catch this, believers, yes. Christmas time is a celebration that we wrap ourselves around this little manger, right? This little baby, this thing that happened, but do not lose sight of the fact that that is not just a baby. It is the King of Kings. It is the Lord of Lords. It is the mighty God. It's the mighty God. That's what we worship. That's why we do what we do because he is mighty, He's mighty. Speaking of mighty, I think we need to look at this term for a minute. The, t- the term mighty in Hebrew is the two words, El Gabor. El Gabor. It's two words, it's a little bit of different order. As we always know, this we, in English for some reason messes up the order of everything, all right? El Gabor is two words. The first word in the phrase mighty God is the word El. It's the proper name of God. It is the first name that was given to God in the Bible, and it is the word. It is short for the name of God, meaning Elohim. Elohim, or the mighty one. If you just see El in the Bible, if you just see the word God in the Bible, chances are in the Old Testament, it is either El or Elohim, and it literally means that he is the mighty one. God. In fact, Genesis one, verse one says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When you see that word God, it is the same word that Isaiah uses here. And it is the word El. It means that in the beginning, the mighty one, God created the heavens and the earth. Now catch what Isaiah is doing here, all right? It's gonna take a little bit of thinking. Isaiah is stamping Jesus, the Messiah, with the proper name, God. So never let anyone say Jesus was never God. Jesus never claimed to be God. It never says that Jesus is God. Clearly we are seeing from the prediction of who Jesus is, that Jesus is fully man, that Jesus is God. L always describes the mighty God, and even in some of the miracles in the New Testament, the Greek word that used for Jesus is God. The second word we see is the word Gabor. It's the word Gabor, and it literally means mighty champion or hero. Mighty champion or hero. You could say that it means, if if you looked at someone and said, that is the Gabor, all right? You could use that as just a warrior term. It would literally mean that he is the one that is standing in the victory when no one else is standing. He is the one that has faced all of opposition that has come their way, and he is the one with his foot on his enemy. I love that imagery, because that's the God that we serve, right? The God that we serve is the one who is left standing, the one that has been victorious, the one that is above all else, and the one that no matter what comes his way, he is the Gabor. He is the one that stands when everything comes against him. He's the one that stands when no matter what we throw at him or Satan brings his way, will come out on top. Now, I love this because the word Gabor only comes in a hero's life after they win victories. So catch what Isaiah is doing here. Isaiah is saying this baby that hasn't even been born yet, the savior that's going to be given to us is going to be quite literally the L, the wonderful mighty God that is a mighty warrior. So you could almost say if you translated it literally that he is the mighty, mighty God. He's the mighty, mighty God. But how many of us, we've just reduced him down to an afterthought we just reduced them down to a hobby. We've reduced them down to something that might just fit into our schedule or just something that's out there or it's a magic genie in a bottle when we need them. We've reduced them down to something that if, if, if it's convenient, we jump in. If it's not, we don't jump in. No, listen, folks, we serve the mighty God, the El Gabor, the El Gabor. So here's the question though, what does that really mean? You see, I think most of us would agree, yeah, we got that, we got that. But what does it mean when we say that Jesus is the mighty God? How do we know that he's the mighty God? How do we know that he is the El Gabor? Well, I love it when you ask questions I wanna answer, because here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you seven practical ways that you can be sure that Jesus is the mighty God. Number one is this, he's the fulfiller of prophecy. He's the fulfiller of prophecy. Did you know that Jesus, before he was born, fulfilled 10 prophecies that were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old before he even came out of the womb. And when he was born, he fulfilled two more at that very moment. You say, Matt, what does that mean? That means that when someone said this was going to be happening, it happened in Jesus's life. You say, Matt, what were the prophecies? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let me give them to you real fast. If you want these later, contact me this week. I'll send them to you. Number one, he was the offspring of a woman. He was born from a woman, Genesis 3:15. He was a "born from a virgin, Isaiah 7. Four. he was the son of God, Psalms 2. He was a descendant from Abraham, Genesis 22, 18. He was in the line of Isaac, Genesis 21, 12. He was in the nation of Israel, Numbers 24, 17. He was in the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, 10. He was from the family of Jesse, Isaiah 11, chapter one. He was from the house of David, Jeremiah 23, 5. He was born in Bethlehem, Micah 5, 2. He was presented with gifts, Psalm seventy two ten and children around him, babies were to be killed as he was born, Jeremiah 31, 15. 12 specifics that could not have been fulfilled by anyone but God were fulfilled at the moment Jesus was born. And catch this, over 300 more throughout his life, his death, and his resurrection. Do you feel what this is saying about our mighty God? The mighty God is the only one that could have fulfilled this. You know, people say to me all the time, well, Matt, it's kind of vague. Jesus could have been anyone. No, 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 he couldn't have. Because Jesus wasn't like meeting somebody at the Braves game that said, hey, listen, I'm a white guy with jeans on, all right? Jesus said, no, 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 I'm a guy that has jeans on, that has a Braves sweatshirt on, a red Braves hat on, a cup in my hand with my name on a sign, standing by the Hank Aaron statue, screaming, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus, I'm Jesus. That's what this means. It means that only he could have done this. No little G God can do that. Only the mighty G God that we serve. Number one, he's a fulfiller of prophecy, but number two, he's the supplier of limitless power. You see, the mighty God is the supplier of limitless. Limitless is the main word I want you to grab onto there. He's the supplier of limitless power. I was reminded of this 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 week. Mark chapter five, I think it's verse 23 through 41, is a story about a guy named Jairus. Now, Jairus was a synagogue leader. You can read it this week on your own. He was a synagogue leader. His daughter got gravely sick, didn't know what to do. So he did the only thing that was reasonable to him. He sought Jesus out to heal his daughter. The problem was by the time Jairus got to Jesus, his daughter had died. Well, the story doesn't end there. Jesus, the El Gibor, Right? steps into the scene. He heals the daughter. He brings the daughter back from the dead. He puts breath in her lungs. He rhythm in her heart, gives color back to her face, puts words back into her mouth. But here's what I want you to know about that story. When Jesus brought this young girl back to life, it did not catch this, take power from Jesus, Now that's hard for us to understand. Why? Because when I step into someone's life, when you step into someone's life, when we meet a need, when we emotionally attach ourselves to a situation, it gasses us a little bit. It tires us out a little bit. It's kind of like in Nintendo days when Mike Tyson's punch out and you took one to the face, right? Your power went from from 100% down to 50%, right? See, Jesus is not like that. When Jesus steps into someone's life and when he heals someone's life, it does not take power away from Jesus. It joys Jesus to be able to live out exactly who the mighty God is. So listen to me, there's going to be problems, there's going to be situations, there's going to be roadblocks, there's going to be financial and medical and social and spiritual problems in your life, but Jesus, the mighty God, has endless power to meet your needs he has an endless supply. So don't come to him going, hey, I know you got a lot going on and I know this might tire you out a little bit. Jesus, Jesus is like, no, this is what makes my joy complete. You see the same power that rose the scrolls, the same power that's available to us. I love Isaiah 43, 11, where God says, I, even I am the Lord and apart from me, there is no savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, I'm not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, watch this, from the ancient days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, no one can reverse it. Listen, there's no end to the power. There's no reversing God's power. You know what our role is? It's just to tap into the power. And it's to ask God for the power. So what are we seeing? We're seeing, in fact, that God says, my power through my might is available to you. He's the fulfiller of prophecy. He is the supplier of limitless, limitless power. Number three, the El Gabor is the creator of all things. He's the creator of all things. Look, I get it. Ah oh, man. I get it, this is a really hard season, right, during Christmas, to look at the baby in the manger and think that's the creator. Our minds are blown away by that, are they not? Or is it just me? All right, it's just me, that's great. All right, here it is. When you see the baby in a manger, he is not just a baby, he's the mighty God. He's the mighty God. Listen, as hard as that is for us to swallow, think about this. How hard was it for the angels to swallow that? I mean, think about this. they have existed from beginning of days with God in heaven, and now he's got a suit of flesh on. You, don't you think they had a little bit of a -- I hope this works out. He's God. He's come to earth, make no mistake. The mighty God, Jesus was born in a manger, but make no mistake, he's mighty. He's mighty. In fact, Colossians 1 watch this. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Listen to what it says about the El Gabor. For in him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether in thrones or powers. He's before all things in him, all things are held together. Do you know what this means for us? It means that the mighty God, the one that created the earth, the heavens and the earth, the one that sustains the earth, the one that holds all things together, he can now speak into your life. He can now fix you. Do you realize any situation that you ever get into can be fixed by the mighty God because he created it? But he not only created the earth, he can fix the earth, he can guide us on the earth, he can get us out of the earth, why? Because he still has a heavenly perspective as the mighty God. He's not just a man, he's God. He's God. So leads me to number four, not only is the creator, he's the defender or defeater of Satan. He's the defeater of Satan. I wanted to say he was the owner of Satan, but it just didn't flow right, but he does. He owns them. In fact, we looked at this last week, Hebrews chapter four. Look at verse, the middle of verse 15. It says, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. You know what that means? That means that El Gabor defeated Satan while he was on this earth. He defeated everything he threw at him. And it means this, we have access to the one that destroys the one who brings accusation against us. If you see Satan, he threw pain at Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said, it's by my stripes that they're gonna be healed. Satan threw temptation at Jesus and Jesus says, not by my will, but by the Father's will. He threw hatred at Jesus and Jesus says, hey, I forgive them. He threw messed up religion at Jesus and Jesus said, I will build my church. He threw political muscle at Jesus and he said, the government is on my shoulder. He threw storms at Jesus and what did Jesus do? He stilled them and healed them. He threw sickness at Jesus and he touched their eyes and made them whole and Satan even threw death at Jesus and he looked at him and said, I'm alive. Everything, God said, I have defeated Satan. Don't live a defeated life. The El Gabor is in your life. We serve the victor that is standing on the neck of Satan and has him in control. And he's offering self to us. Offering himself to us. We're sealed and secured in his power and might and victory. But it gets even better because number five, he's also the conqueror of death. The mighty God is the conqueror of death. you realize that Jesus is the only person who has ever lived that have risen themselves from the dead by their own power and never died again? Never died again. He's the only God that when you visit his grave, there ain't nobody there. He's risen. He's risen. I love what Revelation 1 says about this John. John says this, when I saw him, that's the El Gabor, that's Jesus. I fell at his feet as though I was dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I, Jesus said, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forevermore. And watch what he says. And I hold the keys of death and hell. Three words, Christ conquered Death is the most important difference between Christianity and that we have a mighty God and nobody else does. He conquered death. Acts 2.24 says it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. John 10.17 says, I lay my life down, Jesus said, only to take it up again. So the mighty God that we serve, the mighty God that Isaiah is saying in these two words, holds the keys to death, which is incredible news. Why? Because in number six, he's also the El Gabor is the giver of our heavenly resurrection. He's the giver of that. Did you know that you will receive one day a heavenly resurrection, not based on what you know, not based on how many church times you've gone, not based on what your parents believe, not based on how much you give, how many Bible verses you know, or how many baptized times you have ever been through. You will be gifted eternity one day if you know Jesus the El Gabor. If he's in your life, if He set you free, if he has given you life, Right? John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He's the giver, but it doesn't stop there. Here's the last one. The El Gibor is also the promiser, oh man, that he will return. That he'll return. He's the promiser that he'll return. You see, the mighty God, the El Gibor, Yes, he's the fulfiller of prophecy. Yes, he gives us limitless power. He created all things. He defeated Satan. He conquered death. He's the giver of heavenly resurrection. But he's not done. Listen, he's coming back. He's coming back. And this time, there will be no mistake. This time there will be no ambiguity. This time he is not coming to be born in a manger. He's gonna be riding in as a warrior who stands above all else and all knees will bow, all tongues will confess that he is Lord. And that he's mighty to save. That's the El Gabor. I love John 14 where Jesus looks at him and goes, hey, don't be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't say it. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back. I will take you with me so that you may be, and catch this, where I am. Where I am. This is the mighty God. I think we've just reduced him down to a bobblehead Jesus that rides on the dash of our car. I think we've reduced him down to a t-shirt or a cliche Christian motto or a coffee cup. He's mighty. He's above all. He's victorious. He stands above us. He's the centerpiece of creation. He stands alone in himself. He's unique and unparalleled and unprecedented. I'm talking about Jesus, the mighty God. He's the miracle of the age. He's the strength for the weak. He's the supplier of all power. He's available for the tempted. He sympathizes with us and he saves us. The mighty God guides us. He heals the leper, gives sight to the blind, cleanses the the sick. He forgives the sinners. He delivers us. He serves the unfortunate. That's the mighty God. He is limitless. He has all power at his fingers. There's no barrier that can keep him away from us. Our mighty God is strong. He's knowledgeable. There's nothing hidden from him. There's nothing that is out of his sight. There's nothing that doesn't fall under his love. He's the hero of all heroes. He's the governor of all governments. He's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the mighty God. And he is incomprehensible but he's ours he's ours and that's the Christmas message the Christmas message is that he's not an ethereal God floating in the sky but he's made himself available for you and for me and for all of humanity and it is a gift for us church the mighty God El Gabor born in a manger lived in poverty died on a cross raised to life can be yours can be yours, but what does he ask of us? Two things, submit and worship. It's simple. Do you realize I have spent the last 40 minutes telling you who he is to you, but in 10 seconds, I can describe all he wants from us. Submit and worship. Here's the question, why don't we? Why don't we? I love Matthew chapter 14. It's another homework assignment for you. you can read the miracle, it's incredible. It's actually one of the miracles that, they use the word El Gabor, but it's in the Greek. But just trust me, it's there. Jesus walks on the water by the disciples after he calms the sea and gets back into the boat. You remember the story of Peter? Listen to what happens when we realize who he really is. Matthew 14, says, when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those that were in the boat worshiped him saying, here's our response, truly, you are the son of God. That's it. Let's not complicate this thing. Let's not put so many layers in this thing we don't know which ends up. Submit and worship. Submit and worship, Lord Jesus. Hell You are mighty. And God, in this place today, continue to show your mightiness. Lord Jesus, I'm not sure where everybody is in this room spiritually, but God, what I do know is that you will meet them right where they are if they will turn to you. You will forgive them, you will raise them, and you will set them on a path of your power and your grace, but it takes them taking that step. God, if there's people in this room that need to submit their hearts to you today for the first time, or for the first time for real. And they need to surrender their hearts to you, Jesus, to come into their lives, to forgive you of their sins. God, I just pray that something in their heart today would just tell them to simply turn to you. God, maybe, just maybe during this next moment, they'd step out from where they are and just come and look myself or one of these other counselors in the face and just say, hey, I need Jesus. I need the wonderful, mighty God. God, give him that boldness this morning. Or God, give him the boldness to jump onto the app and fill out the next steps for him just for us to follow up with him. But God, for a lot of us today, would you just reset our thoughts that yes, you are a comforter, but God, you are mighty. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand and sing together. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com slash next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.